But it's great to see you again. You might not like me after today, because I, I'm going to tell you something about yourself. You know this. You know it's true. I'm not the first person to tell you this, but you just need to own up to it and admit it. And the reason I know it's true is because neurobiologists and educators have told us this is true. And anyone wearing a white lab coat must be right, correct? You, oh, this is so hard to say. You are a forgetter. You're a forgetter. You forget things, don't you? Neurobiologists tell us that our brains are wired to forget. Part of that is for survival instinct because we get so much stuff going on inside of our brains that we have a hard time focusing sometimes. Isn't that true? Don't you experience that? In fact, they did a research project and they determined and they learned that the average student in, in a classroom, which could be even the average person listening to a message on a Sunday morning, 55% of those people forget what they heard within just a couple of hours. So if you're sitting at dinner with your loved one and, and wife, you ask him, so what did you think about the sermon? And he says, uh, I don't really remember. It's not because he was thinking about golf or Harley-Davidson motorcycles. It's, he's just wired to forget. Did you know that another 65% of us only remember it another few days? And 75% of us forget the lessons that we learned. Students and, and people like us, we forget, 75% of us forget within six days everything we were taught. So we should probably have church like three times a week so we wouldn't forget the lessons that we're meant to learn. But there is help. Here's the help. When I went to college, my, uh, my freshman year, they gave us this orientation. And this lady came in and she spoke to us and she told us how to remember things. There are several different cues and helps on how, to, how you can remember facts and figures and things, shopping lists. And it was really a very fascinating uh, lesson that we learned. In one hour, she taught me more about mem uh, remembering things than I'd ever learned before. One of the cues, one of the ways to be successful, and if you're a student at Master's Academy, listen to me right now because this will help you. One of the great, one of the cues that you can take to remember things is to attach them to something that is significant, maybe an emotion or something visual. Because school most often is about hearing, not seeing. So here's what I want to do this morning. Because this message is so important. So important. I don't want you to forget it. I want to give you a little help so that you can remember it. So husband, when you're sitting at dinner with your wife and she asks you, what do you think about the message? You can say, oh yeah, I really know what that was about. Here's how we're going to do it. Who do we see on the screen? How many people remember actually watching Popeye in black and white? Wow, that's, that's quite a few of us. You remember, in, in the next slide, you're going to see there, there are three main characters in, in the cartoon. You know, there's, the, there's this big guy whose name was Brutus. There was the little guy named Popeye. And then, of course, there was the, the center of attention, Olive Oil. Her last name, by the way, is spelled with a Y, O-Y-L. They were always competing for her affections. But you know the story. 
you know, Popeye would try to win her, Brutus would try to win her, they would compete back and forth, and then after a little while, Popeye would, uh, Brutus would get frustrated with Popeye, or he would was, feel like he was losing, so he'd start pummeling um, Popeye, and he would, be, uh, he would be just about out of it, you know, just about con- unconscious. And then suddenly, what would appear? Spinach. And what would Popeye do? Look at the next slide. Popeye would would begin to pop some spinach, and what would happen? The song would come on. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot, toot. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot, toot. I'm strong to the finish, because I eat me spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot, toot. Your toot toots could use a little work, but we'll... uh... Here's the thing. In that cartoon, Popeye has this transformation. He has this transformation from some kind of uh, normal guy until at that moment when he needs it, it most, this strength comes to him from spinach. And all of a sudden, it's like his muscles burge. He has the strength and the ability to do something he wasn't able to do before. And sometimes in life, that's the way it is for us. There's something that comes into our life, we're just, we're, just, we're just going normal. Remember, we're going down the chronos of life. And all of a sudden, an event takes place. And we need strength that we don't have. And we need that source, source of strength from some place that's outside of ourself. And this morning, the scripture we're going to look at is, is, is pretty important. It's a very important passage of Scripture. It's one of the most important passages of Scripture, I think, in the church because inside the Scripture today, we're going to get one of our tools, and one of the most important tools we can have for finishing strong in the faith. Now, we often don't think of what we're going to talk about today as a tool. Sometimes we think of it as a labor, as something we must do, as a duty. And while it may be some of those things, it is a tool that we need in order to succeed in this life so that we can one day do like the song says, go and see Jesus. And that's what we want, isn't it? It says in verse 13 of the text, it says, if any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. The Jews had an old saying that, um, there was an ancient saying that said, if he who prays surrounds his house with iron. That's how important prayer is. So if you're in trouble, you should pray. That's good advice. If anyone's happy, let him sing songs of praise. You were singing songs, great. You must have been happy this morning. Then he says in verse 14, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Now that text is difficult. When we read a text like that, at surface level, it seems to promise us so many things. When when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, we went to this verse. I had to wrestle with this verse 
I had to struggle with it. Because here was someone that I loved who had received cancer. So we called people we knew. We anointed her with oil. And we prayed for her. But the Lord hasn't healed her. In fact, not only that, the cancer has spread and become worse. So not only did it seem to us that the Lord didn't heal her and answer our prayers, but it seems as though He made it worse. Now we know that's not the case. But sometimes in the church, we have a tendency to read things in such a way and, and import our own expectations into the Scripture that we forget what the Scripture might really be saying to us. Or we might read the Scripture and we fail to have the, the, the resources to fully understand it the, the way it was written. See, this text was written 2,000 years ago. There was, as they were writing this Scripture, the Holy Spirit was giving them words in that moment, but it was words for that moment. And they wrote them as they understood, and we have to take those words from then and apply them back here to today. So I dug deeply into this text and others on the concept of healing. I, I, uh, I didn't grow up in a church family. I tell people all the time that the only time I ever heard the name of God mentioned in my home was when His name was used in vain. I got saved because of a motorcycle accident. So God bless my motorcycle. And that's how I came to the church. I became a part of the, the church of God. I didn't know what it was. It was just a church that I went to where people loved me, accepted me, and took in this, this little spiritually homeless boy. And they helped me grow in faith. So I didn't know a lot of these things. I wasn't a part of the charismatic movement where it said that if you just do this and you do this, then you'll be healed. And if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Let me tell you something. My wife has faith. She has the gift of faith. If faith could heal her, she would be healed. My wife is also probably one of the holiest persons I know. And I say this all the time. If my wife ain't getting to heaven, there ain't no way I'm going. So it wasn't because there was some deep, dark sin. She's, as, she's about as sweet and clean as it gets. So look at the Scripture. There's got to be more to this than all of that. When you read the text, and, and, and let, me, let me say this, because I've done a lot of research on this, and maybe sometime we can have a, a talk about healing. But scholars are divided on what some of this text means, and I'm not going to give you all the all the. I'm not going to parse out all the language and all the words. I'm just going to give you the executive summary of it. Scholars are divided. There is a sense in which we know that if God wants to heal, He can heal instantly. Isn't that true? I've seen it. It's happened. I'll tell you one quick story. I was in India one time preaching in North, North India. And, and, and I'm, I'm the kind of guy who... Uh, I've always been uh, skeptical of faith healers because of the, the stuff that surrounds them but I believe in healing. I've never seen it in my own life in the way in which I've seen it sometimes in the life of others. So I wasn't sure that that was my thing. But I'm preaching up in, I'm speaking up in uh, northern India with a group of other pastors. And we went to this one location. 
and we were having this service, and then after the service, we were going around praying for people. Just praying for people. We didn't understand anything they were saying. We had translators walking with us trying to keep up, but there were hundreds of people crowding this, this, I mean, if this had been the room, there'd been a thousand and 500 people in there. I mean, I mean, they're close in India. I mean, it's close. So I'm, we're speaking, we finish, we get down, we're walking around, we're praying with people, and this lady comes up to me, and, and uh, I'm, they're translating, pray for her daughter, like three-year-old daughter. She, she can't hear out of her ear. She, she's deaf in one ear. So we got oil, we prayed for her. She said, thank you, and we left. And the next morning, I was getting on, we were getting on the bus, and this lady with this three-year-old daughter, she comes running up to that bus and she's knocking on the door, knocking on the door. She let me in. She wanted in on the bus. We didn't know what was going on. They opened the bus doors up. She comes in and she starts speaking excitedly to the driver who knew English and, and Hindi as well and come to find out that girl had been healed that day. So God can do it. But God doesn't always do it. When you look at the text, we have to understand that on, on one level, God can do whatever He wants to do. He can heal instantly at any moment. That's why we should always pray and ask. But it also gives us an indication in here that when you look at the text, that this idea of anointing with oil is pretty significant. See, in the church today, we use anointing for oil in more of a symbolic fashion. But in those days, the anointing of oil uh, was more than a symbolic gesture. It was actually a medicinal practice. Olive oil was, uh, uh, was used as one of the most common medicines. It was used for a lot of different things to help ailments in the body. And so what, what is happening in this text is this, it's this interesting dichotomy of understanding. On the one hand, it's this approaching God in prayer and faith, knowing that, that He could heal. And at the same time, it's allowing God to use the natural processes of life to heal us as well. And for either process, whether it's instantaneous, miraculous deliverance, or whether it's God using doctors and, and what we learn through research and science to, to help heal us, both of these things, when they're dedicated to God, is God's means of producing healing in our bodies. But then we also have this issue. It's a very thorny issue. It's the issue of sin. Because in the text, it seems to be that God is, that there's this connection between our sickness and our sin. And that's true. We are sick because we have sinned. Let me explain. When Adam sinned in the garden, the whole natural order of the world changed. Theologically speaking, we, we understand that in, even in Romans 8, it tells us that, that the earth itself feels the, this, this effect of sin. There are these, these, the world is in itself decaying and sin and disease and all of those things are creeping in it. So as a result, we are all feeling the effects of sin as it affects our body. So yes, sin does impact our sickness. But is it possible that personal sin also creates sickness in our body? That's a topic scholars debate at, at various levels. I hope that's not the case. This past week, I, I was uh, riding the motorcycle. For, we're moving, we're slowly getting here to Vero permanently. We just, it just take a little bit, it's taking a little bit of a transition period. So, so I, I had to have my motorcycle with me because we're going to be here for, I mean, three months and 
Florida in November, December, and January. I mean, why wouldn't you bring your golf clubs and your motorcycle, right? So if anyone wants to play golf, uh, hit me up. We, um, so I'm riding my motorcycle. Forecasters rain. So I'm riding. First 350 miles, no problem. It was nice, cloudy. Then we hit rain. Then more rain. Then I hit rain, more rain. Then we hit tornado warnings. And then we hit hail watch. And then finally I said, you know, maybe it's time to stop at a hotel. So I stopped at a hotel. Woke up the next morning, drove in. It was a pretty good drive the next day. Well, somewhere along the way, I got sick. In fact, I got so sick, we had a meeting Thursday night with the elders. At 4 o'clock, I'm at the urgent care trying to get, trying to get better. So if uh, sickness is a result of sin, I was thinking, what did I do this week? And I'm thinking back through every minute of the past week. Sometimes it is, though. Sometimes the result of our sickness and sin is lifestyle choices. And sometimes it's other things. But the apostle, in writing this text, gets us to verse 16, which is really the key verse I want us to focus on for just a couple more minutes. And this is what he says, and I'm just going to break this verse down a little bit because it's important we understand a couple of things. The, the Apostle James says, therefore confess. The word he uses is, is confess. The word means to agree with. When you confess something, you are agreeing with the person to whom you confess that what you have done is so. So that means if you have committed a sin against God, when you confess your sins to God, you and God are in agreement that you have in fact done what you are confessing. If you have hurt somebody else and you go to that person to ask forgiveness, when you confess your sin, you are agreeing with that other person and they are agreeing with you that you have in fact committed that sin. The word confess is important because it brings agreement. If you can't have agreement on the thing over which you disagree, how are you ever going to get unity? So you have to begin with confession. That's what it means. And this says that we are to confess your sins. We know what sin is. We know it's, it's, it's wrongs that we do against God. It's the wrongs that we commit against one another. But remember, sin and a mistake are two different things. I make mistakes all the time. I forget things quickly, apparently, according to neurobiologists. I make calculation errors. I uh, occasionally run a stop sign. Once in a while, I might run my heart a little over the speed limit. I'll make some mistakes. Um, don't tell my wife. On Friday, I ate a half a piece of white bread. We had a little, we had a little staff get-together. They're all sworn to secrecy. So are you. We make mistakes. But there's mistakes, and then there's these sins. And the Bible lists, the Bible lists about 600 different sins. Depends on who you're counting and who's counting them and what they are. There's a lot of things that we can do wrong. And, and here's the thing we need to understand. Is when we sin, it's not just something where we kind of laugh it off and say, Oh, well, I'm just a sinner. You ever, you ever hear anyone say that? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a sinner. It's really, what they're really saying is, is, well, I sin, you sin, we all sin. So what's the big deal with sin? And that's part of the problem with our current age is we've forgotten what sin really is. It's an abomination to God and it's something that tears relationships and communities apart when we live in it. 
That's why God calls us to be a holy people so we no longer have to live in this sin that it so easily besets us. But not only do we confess sins, but we confess your sins. Now, I would love to confess. Uh, we have to confess our own sins. I would love to confess your sins. Man, if I know you long enough, I can, pu- I can pull out a list. And you can, right? I bet you can confess the sins of others pretty easily. Some people make it a sport. They sit on the park bench and say, oh, that sinner did this and that sinner did that. Well, you have to confess your own sins because you're responsible for you. The Bible says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. It's to each other. Now, that clause is scary. So here's what I thought we would do this morning. I'm going to take the microphone and let you start confessing your sins. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun? Man, this, this church would be packed twice next week. It'd be, it'd be like a soap opera. Who has the juiciest sin? As the sin turns, you know, something like that. I can just, I can just see a video for it. But we're to confess our sins to each other. Here's the implication. You can confess your sins to someone else because you know they have sins to confess to. If you ever go to an AA meeting, no one in the room is denying what their problem is. Brothers and sisters, don't look around, but metaphorically, look around because we're all there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's all of us. You know what? Your sin, as bad as it may be, when you confess it, I guarantee you when you confess it to someone else, they're going to say, that's not so bad. The hardest time to do this is with a group of pastors. (laughs) That's fine. So we had a session one time where a group of pastors got together and and the goal was to confess our sins. Now, we should be able to do it, right? I mean, we're supposed to be leading this stuff, and it it was pretty silent for a while. And someone ventured out, and they said something like, well, you know, the other day I I lied about something else. And someone else gave another, well, the other day I I did this. And they were all really, you know, all sin is sin, but you get my illustration. Those are low-level sins. Those Those are like, those like middle school sins. There's high school sins. And then there's the adult sins. But after a while, when everyone felt safe, this group of pastors began to open up. And you know what they realized? Is they realized that as they were confessing their sins, that all of them had the same struggles, but no one wanted to share it with anyone else because they all felt they had the same, they all had a unique struggle or a unique condition or a unique situation. And we don't. We're human. And all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that we also pray for each other. We should always pray for one another to build a wall of iron around our relationships, around our homes, around our church. But it also says, we do all of this so that you may be healed. And again, in looking at the context of this, the word healed, there's two meanings. One, it means physical healing. 
but it also means the healing of your soul. Now here's what's interesting. When the, when the scriptures often use this word soul, it's often used in a Hebraic sense, not a, a Greco-Roman, not a, a, a Greek philosophy sense. See, Greek philosophy believed in this sense of dualism, and, and they, had, they had these strong categories for the mind was this, the soul was this, the spirit was this, the body was this, and they had remedies for every condition that affected any one of those parts of the human constitution. That's not how the Hebrew people thought. That's not how people like Jesus thought. They approached life differently. They said, the body is the body and the soul is the soul. And everything in the soul is the soul. So my mind is the soul. My spirit is the soul. My, my heart is the soul. It's, it's all this inner man and this outer man that Paul talks about. And so when it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, while it may be physical healing, what they are also likely talking about is there is, there is this, this soul healing that takes place. The soul is healed. The mind is healed. The heart is healed. The, the psyche is healed. The whole inner man is being healed. So when we confess... God brings a healing, maybe to our body, but certainly to our soul, and we're relieved. Now, confession is good. And let me tell you today, some of us need to confess. Some of us have wrongs that we have committed against someone. Maybe it's gone back years, maybe decades. As doing, as doing counseling as I do as a pastor and certainly in working with my wife some and, and some of what she does and, and the things we learn there, sometimes people harbor the, these, these things that they have done for so long. I was meeting with a man the other day who he and his wife are having difficulties in their marriage and, and he was uh, adopted. And one of the struggles that he's facing is never being able to confess some things that he'd done in his life because he didn't have anyone to confess it to. He needed a mother. He needed a father. He needed someone to confess it to. And that was driving his behavior. We need confession because confession is good for us. And the Bible tells us why. And let me quickly give you a few reasons. First of all, confession brings sin into the light. Proverbs says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. When you confess, it brings this dark stuff out, out of your life into the light. Sin grows in darkness. It's like a fungus. It's like a mold. It's like a bacteria. It likes to grow where it's dark and dirty and, and it's fed all kinds of junk. But when you bring it into the light, it, it can't survive. It can't survive. When you put your sin out in front of, in front of people, whomever those people are, you've got to do something with it. And it, and, it, and it brings mercy to you. Confession also releases health into our soul and body. Notice what it says in Psalms 32, which, by the way, is a companion psalm to Psalm 51 after David had sinned with Bathsheba. It says, when I, confessed, when I refused to confess my sin, notice what happened. He was refusing to confess. My body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Do you catch the picture? Here's a guy who knew he had done wrong, because he says before I confess, he knew he had done wrong. But he wasn't ready to confess. 
His pride was too high. He was the king. He had all these reasons why he should be above confession. But he didn't confess. And his body suffered. He groaned. His soul was suffering. He says, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in summer heat. But when you confess, there's restoration of, of your body. But there's also restoration of your soul because confession unburdens the soul. Notice the second half of this verse. Finally. I love that word. You know what finally says? Finally says that a person has been on a struggle, they've been on a journey. But they've come to the place where they realize they've got to do something. Finally. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me? All my guilt is gone. Have you ever had that moment when you confess something, you got it off your chest, you just, you just released it and, and you're just like, man, I'm so, I'm so glad. So glad that's, that's out. Confession restores fellowship and builds community. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sin breaks down fellowship with God. It breaks down fellowship with each other. But when we confess our sins, it's the opportunity for restoration of fellowship. And when you restore fellowship, you restore community. And confession helps me to be strong to the finish. Do you want to cross the finish line and see Jesus? Then confess. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You see, there's this idea that if you can learn to confess, because you're, you're going to need to confess, because you're going to sin, right? Is anyone perfect? Let me see that person. There's no one, none of us. So we're going to need to learn this tool, this, this art, this... We're going to need to learn to confess. If you've been married any length of time, you should already be learning that. That's, what, that's the only way you make it. I tell, I tell people all the time, my wife and I have been married 34 years. I've had 34 great years. I'm confident she's only had about 31. We have to learn to confess. And here's the truth. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. All you have to do. Now, I understand when I say all you have to do, I understand that getting to the all is pretty tough. You may be like David, where there's something in you that you know you need to do, but you're not the finally yet. But you'll get there. The first thing you have to do is simply admit you have sinned. I know that's hard, particularly with some things. You know, some of our middle school sins, that's not so, that's not so, uh, that's not so hard. Even the high school sins are, are not so hard to uh, maybe uh, speak out loud. But those adult sins, those are, uh, sometimes those are, those are pretty tough. Those are pretty tough. But once you're able to do it, as long, along the way of being able to do it, you just have to humble yourself. Everyone sins, didn't we say that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know you're no worse than anyone else? You're no better, but you're no worse. Because we're all humans. 
We're all here. God's working in us. His Spirit is trying to work with us. And when we work with His Spirit, things go good. But sometimes we resist the Spirit and things don't go so good. And when we resist the Spirit, all we have to do is humble ourselves and pray and confess. Confess our sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible also tells us where if you forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Brothers and sisters, confession is a tool that we need. It's a tool that we need that will bring health to our soul. It's, confession is like spinach to our soul. For some of us, we didn't like spinach as kids, but we need to learn to love it. Let me give you one last story. I told you I didn't grow up in a church home. I ended up in a small church in Oklahoma where I grew up. And uh, I, uh, I'll tell you the whole story one day, but I ended up in this church because of a girl. I went there because she invited me to church. I thought she liked me. I got to church, found out she didn't. Girls can be so mean. That's why we pull their pigtails. We pull them in advance. But anyway... But I loved the church. And the church loved on me. And there was this, um, there was this, uh, remember, I, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, 16. So when I use this word, please understand perspective. There was an elderly lady by about around age 50. I know now that's not elderly. That's quite young, in fact. But back then, that seemed, you know, that, that seemed like, man, this lady's old. But anyway, she took me under her wing to disciple me. Let me tell you, there's nothing like being discipled by a grandma. When you're a teenage boy, and it's time for discipleship, she said, Tim, bring your Bible, come on over. Man, I picked my Bible up, I went to her house. And I would get there, and there'd be cake, or pie, or sandwiches, or... Whatever. I mean, we did. She just, she just fed me and fed me. And those were the days when I could eat anything. It didn't matter, right? We'd open the Bible and she'd teach me. She would teach me stuff. And I'm like probably most of us, I'm a forgetter. I probably forgot about 50% of the stuff before I even got to my next place after her house. But there's one thing she said. There's many things, but there's one thing in particular that she said to me that I've never forgotten. She said, Tim, Christians have to have a reverse gear. I didn't fully understand what that meant until a few years later. I was involved in a situation. I realized I was the one who had caused it. And I did not want to put it in reverse. I just wanted to, instead I wanted to shift to the highest gear and I just wanted to plow right through it and just put all that stuff in my rear view mirror. And I tried. But God messed with me so bad. Finally I said, oh Lord, Finally, finally, backed up. And I got to that place and that person, and I confessed my sin. That was hard. Wasn't taught to do it. We're not taught to do it, are we? We don't see it modeled. We don't, we don't see it. In fact, when, when, we, when we see anything of apologies, we see these people who, have, who, have, uh, who come on TV, politicians, athletes, you know, other types of persons, they've got carefully uh, polished apology statements that you listen to it and you think, was that an apology? Reverse gear. And I felt better. And I realized I, got, I had to do that a lot more often.
because it was, it was strength to my soul. And through life, I, I have learned that. There are times when I have been absolutely wrong and I've apologized. A couple times as pastor, I've had to apologize to my church for something I'd done or something I'd said. It's difficult. It's hard to do. But that's what we do because we're the body of Christ. Now, if we don't want to be the body of Christ, we don't have to do it. We can live like everybody else. But I don't want to live like that. Do you? I want to be strong to the finish. That's what I want to be. Pray with me. Father, give us this moment. Do with it what you want. In Jesus' name. Altars are open to my right and to my left. If you feel you need to pray, you want to come and pray, please do. If you want to seek someone out and confess, you can do that too. But this is a time when take these moments to reflect and ask God, what is it that He wants you to do with what you've heard? Let's sing together.
that we need you. We, can't, we confess that we can't do this life without you. And we thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for your, the ministry of your grace and your mercy in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, you are gentle and kind and loving and grace-filled and faithful. And you're faithful to meet any situation we have and walk through the middle of it with us. And so, Lord, we indeed confess our sin to you. And if there's those that haven't been confessed, Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to confess those to you as well. We trust you, God. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your redemption and your deliverance. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen.